1: Hello, and welcome to the Heritage Radio Network's Farm Report. Um, Today's Farm Report is brought to you by TechServe and uh, the Lower East Side Ecology Center. TechServe is hosting their 8th annual After the Holidays e-waste events. Um, The Ecology Center is rolling out its 8th annual After the Holidays e-waste events with 10 events in January 2011 to help you responsibly dispose of all of your unwanted or broken gadgets. Help us meet our goal collecting 100 tons this january by spreading the word to your friends and neighbors and of course checking us out always at techserve.com
2: thanks heather well you know it's one o'clock you're listening to the farm report we are um, on the line with dan gibson of grazing angus acres up in columbia county where he raises 100 percent grass-fed and finished angus dan are you with us I sure am. Hey, Dan. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your day. We are excited to learn a little bit more about your operation. Um, why don't you Why don't you set the scene up for us a little bit? When did you get into farming, and how did you guys come to be on the piece of property where you're you're working now?
3: Sure. Well, like many New York families, we were impacted by 9-11. My daughter, who was at NYU, was bombed out of her housing there. My son dropped out of Pace University and joined the military. And yeah, I was just completely freaking out. And I gave up then my New York Day job. Uh, I was affiliated with Wall Street Types And uh, started making a transition to do something different in my life that I thought would actually matter. And um, we bought the land. Honestly, didn't know exactly what I was going to do with it. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) uh, But I definitely needed a place to go. And then uh, we just started raising some black Angus. And one day, while I was still part of uh, New York City, Wall Street types, I had a client visit me here who promised me that if I raised a particular black Angus we had on the farm on grass and grass alone for the rest of its life, he was going to buy it. And that was that. He didn't care what it cost. He was going to buy this particular steer. Nice. And time came that this steer was ready, and it takes about three years to finish a steer on grass and grass alone. And he, sure enough, was there to buy it. We had talked about it several times in between, and I asked him what the story was, and, and he said that he and his wife had two autistic children, not severely autistic, but both on the autism scale. And they believed that their autism was either caused by or at least exacerbated by food allergies and the things that are in modern-day food. And so they wanted to go back to nature as much as possible and buy the cleanest foods that they could. And my type 1 personality at that point, the business person and me said, hey, maybe there's a business here, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I started doing a lot of research about grass-fed and grass-finished cattle, and why Black Angus, and why Local Matters, and before you knew it, um, I had turned it into what we think is a pretty important service to the New York community.
1: How many steers um, are you currently raising on your farm?
3: We have about 300 head here today. Mm. Because it takes three years, two and a half to three years to finish cattle on grass and grass alone, that's actually three years worth of inventory. <laughs> so we're always, we'll process about a hundred head a year.
1: And how um, how is the processing um, and the things for you? Was it easy to find a, um, a butcher, or, I'm sorry,
3: a slaughterhouse to work with? You know, that was probably one of, it was one of the hardest things, actually. And fortunately, um, one of the things that The USDA has done that I thought was right, was they supported what was called NELPS. It's the Northeast Livestock Processing Services Company. And I was able to find some small processors because the last thing I wanted to do was take two and a half three years to raise Hmm. this great steer and give it to somebody who was slaughtering 400 head an hour
1: right
3: and end up not getting my own meat back so i had oversight and i was i was making sure and you know ultimately we became we went through the certification process to be animal welfare approved and we found a small processor who um, was doing things right, we thought, convinced them that they should allow the certification folks from AWA in to take a look at their process. Nice. And Eagles Bridge, New York, right up here, the around us here, will process for us seven head every other week. And when we take seven head there, that day they put down seven head. Awesome. And in 21 days, they cut up seven-head, and I get those back. And it was important to us that it be a small processor, animal welfare approved, and NELPS helped us, helped us find the right folks.
2: Yeah, Steve and Debbie of Eagle Bridge Custom Meats are great. That's, that's the same processor that we used when I was working for Flying Pigs Farms, so I've definitely gotten to spend some time with them.
3: Can Absolutely. You, yeah, they're great folks.
2: Can you tell us, um, the, the AWA certification, what, what does that look like? What does that mean exactly?
3: Well, Animal Welfare Approved will come to the farm and review everything about the way the cattle are raised, from birth to death. And so they require that they follow them to the slaughterhouse to make sure that that process is as humane as it is. The fact mm. is, the animal is going to die, right. and we will eat it. And they wanted to make sure that they're raised properly, but also that they die as humanely as possible. Right. And, and that's what they do. And the, the, the beautiful things about animal welfare approved is that they are independent in fact, and they're also independent in appearance because they don't charge the farm at all to review it. Mm-hmm. They're actually funded by well-heeled individuals who care about the same types of things that many of your listeners will care about when it comes to the treatment of animals. So, they're not, it's not a business that's being su- supplied or, or supported by the people that they're reviewing. There's no fox in the chicken house here. And, they're not going to approve us because we're paying for it. They're going to approve us because we're doing what AWA wants us to do. And then the other big, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, just
1: adding value in the end, of course.
3: Completely. once you get to I use mean, their label. For the longest time, we were the only folks in the entire green market system who were AWA approved. And we got a lot of customers that would come to us and said that the only reason they were there was because we were AWA. The fact that our meat is great is the price of admission. (laughs) The fact that it's AWA turned them. And, you know, we've got a lot of customers today that are steady customers that had been vegetarians for 13 to 30 years.
2: Wow! Wow! I, you know, usually think of bacon as the gateway meat, but gra- <laughs> gra- grass-fed beef is making a push. You can't turn down a cheeseburger, though. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I'm, I'm a little curious. You know, you guys on your website are 100% grass-fed and finished. Um, and and I, I have a clear idea what that means, but I know a lot of beef that's labeled grass-fed is is just grass-fed. So how? Like, like where's the cutoff point? Like, how how can you attain that labeling of grass-fed, and then at what point does it change to grass-fed and and finish?
3: Well, I mean, most cattle in the U.S., in fact, all cattle in the U.S., have at some point had some grass in their lives. That clearly doesn't mean that they're grass-fed. What... What happens is what happens with all these labels. I mean, look at what free range means versus what you think it means. Look at what cage free means or vegetarian fed. We can talk about all of those. But grass fed and finished means that the only things that my cattle have ever had to eat in their entire lives on this farm, and they're born and raised here, and right to, you know, they, I don't buy them in. They're born here, they're raised here. Um, we're, we're with them every moment of of their lives the only thing they've ever had to eat other than the grass they walk around on every single day is mama's milk when they were babies just as nature intended and that's what grass-fed and finished means and you need to be able to i think it's hard to rely on a label yeah so i think that if you have the opportunity you have to meet the farmer you have to go to the farmers market you have to be willing to ask the questions you know, a lot of people assume that everyone at every farmer's market is as clean and organic as, as the day is long, and that's not always the case. And if a farmer won't take the time to answer your question, you get yourself a different farmer.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, where, where exactly, um, I mean, where are you going? Are you at the farmer's market yourself? Is someone from your farm? How frequently can people come meet you, and where?
3: That's a great question. I, I, I actually have not... Um, hired anyone local new york city to just go sell our meat um, and i know that you know a, a lot of farmers do i prefer to send people that have been here at the farm so even if i were to someday hire somebody in the city where i just dropped meat out of green market um, i would make sure they were here for a week or two and understood everything that we did and why we did it and were able to explain it Right. we man the tent if you will at the green market it's myself it's my wife it's my son my daughter my son-in-law my son-in-law chip actually does most of the markets right now um that provides me an opportunity to spend more time at the farm which i like but i'm there often as well and i think that's i think it's important i think that people have a right to shake the hand that feeds them I, you know as michael Pollan says it, it's. it's not just even a right it's it's a requirement. I mean, if you're not, if you don't know precisely where your meats come from, you might as well buy it at Walmart because it's mystery meat, right? Mm And we're horrified by that thought. So let's get out there. Let's meet the farmers. And, you know, my farm is open. People can come up here at any time and take a look around. I mean, that's the way it should be. You have it right. You Mm -hmm. know, how far from New York City are you? It takes, if you were to take the scenic route up uh, the west side, for example, through the Henry Hudson Highway to the Sawmill to the Taconic, <laughs> it's going to take about two and a half hours. It's really
1: not bad.
3: It's really not. And
1: um, uh, what was, are you in multiple locations here in New York City when you come to sell your meat? or?
3: Yeah, we are. We're, um, Fridays and Saturdays both were at Union Square, okay. um, and, and that's done very well for us. But in Brooklyn in particular on Sunday... We're at uh, Carroll Gardens, at Smith & Carroll, every Sunday, year-round now. That market has just now gone year-round, so we're looking for more support there because in the winter it's been soft. And uh, we're also on the Upper West Side at 78th and Columbus at the Museum of Natural History on Sunday. Oh,
1: that's a fun one. Um, We'll definitely check out Grazen Acres, uh, -acres com, and you can check out some more of their locations and how to contact the farm if you want to go up and visit it.
2: yeah, so Dan, we're big fans of Green Market here. We've had a lot of people from the organization on the show, and I was just curious. Did you? I mean, how how did that relationship start for you guys? As I can tell, as far as I can tell from your website, that's pretty much the only place to buy your meat. So, did you guys approach them before you kind of started bringing the steer for sale, or how, I mean, how instrumental in kind of developing your business have they been?
3: Absolutely critical to what we do. I mean, we we do service some restaurants like Franny's in Brooklyn or now uh, Savoia in Brooklyn are are getting our meat uh, occasionally. Ask for it specifically if you go there, please. (laughs) Uh, But um, I I felt early on that it was very important that I be able to look people in the eye and tell them the way that we raise our cattle. Um, and so, Green Market is is the venue for that. You know, Green Market has provided us uh, um, a gathering place for great farms and farmers, and a very in New York City and in Brooklyn, a very sophisticated audience that understands the issues at hand. You know, most folks have listened to your radio show, and um, they've read Michael Pollan, Wendell Berry, Nina plank and others, um, and. And they get it, and they're looking for it. And I've, I've had people, I mean, it, it shocks me how many folks now have come to us and said, you know, this baby that was just born, this baby was raised prenatally on your eggs. This baby, wow. you know, will never have anything but your beef. That's and awesome. you know, It's just pretty awesome, and it's so satisfying. And if, if I were to just simply sell cattle to a broker, um, it, w- it wouldn't be that. You know, if I were to sell to just multiple restaurants who didn't get what we're about, and had a server say, I don't know, it's a, it's a burger. Yeah. You know, that you're, wouldn't be cool.
1: I mean, you're getting the the whole full circle action there with that, and I'm sure that must be really gratifying for your work. Um, we're going to take a, a short break and come back and uh, talk to you a little bit more. We're here with Dan Gibson of Gray's and Angus Acres on the Heritage Radio Network's Farm Report. Back in, in just a moment. December 19th at Roberta's Guys Beer Fest. You
0: have to be there. And I'm told there will be tricycles. To uh, reserve a team for the event, you can email Cherie at C H E
1: R I E at Roberta's And, um, yeah, there's going to be tons of stuff. They'll be playing football. There'll be a hog roasting, pork sandwiches, all kinds of beer, games, events, you know, the usual at Roberta's. So, again, that's December 19th, and you can email Cherie at Roberta's Pizza for more information. Heritage Radio Network's Farm Report, live every Thursday here at 1 o'clock. Um, we are on the line with Dan Gibson of Grey's and Angus Acres, up about two and a half hours from New York City in uh, Columbia County, New York. Um, Dan, hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, it seems as if um, the land that you um, purchased um, you know, shortly after 9-11, as you mentioned earlier, was originally a dairy farm. I was kind of wondering what the transition was like from changing your land over to the operation it is now. Um, what some of the you know, biggest things you had to do t- to get set up for raising cattle
3: were? Uh, it's a great question. You know, the, it was a beautiful uh, piece of property that had a lot of potential, but it was the classic conventional dairy that kept animals close, and um, it was it was something of a mess. Um, every single one of the pastures wasn't a pasture at all today. They're pastures growing nothing but green grass. For the last 50 years before us getting here, they grew nothing but corn, year in and year out, corn corn on corn on corn. And there wasn't a fence here, Uh, the the land, the 450 acres that we own, it wasn't used for the animals. It was used for the crops to feed the animals that were kept in barns. And they were kept in barns because in a conventional dairy, you want them to eat, lay down, make milk, get up, get milked, go eat, lay down, make milk. It's a terrible existence. And I just couldn't wait to shut that down. (laughs) I would get up and milk with them uh, because the farmer who owned it before me stayed for a year. And I got my head around what the dairy business was. And uh, conventional dairy, what just wasn't for me. So there I was again trying to think, you know, what would we do? And that grass-fed opportunity came along. So this is the first year that uh, this summer we finished finally – after eight years here finished um actually fencing in the borders of the property and getting good grasses established you know we had to let the fields go fallow for a while you couldn't find an earthworm on the farm now you can't turn shovel full without nice. an earthworm in it um and you know we've we've built the soil back up we continue to do that by grazing the cattle through and three days hence bringing the chickens through because the best organic fertilizer known to man is chicken poop. Mm-hmm. And we use egg mobiles right behind the cattle, always three days because they will scratch the patties apart looking for fly larvae. And, you know, we've rebuilt the soil, the grass grows, and ah, it's, just, it's just such a sight to see.
2: That's great. We, I was kind of wondering, you know, you said you did a lot of research when you were trying to figure out exactly kind of how to farm and, and what was going to be a good fit for your family and your property. What kind? Of, were there any agencies, uh, you know, Cornell Extension or New York State Ag and Markets? I mean, who did you reach out to, um, people in your community, for kind of more of the hands-on or experiential learning that maybe is a little tougher to get through through reading?
3: Well, there wasn't anybody doing what we do at the time, and we. Um, We had a hard time getting our heads around it. First of all, I I actually think 20 years ago, 25 years ago, it might have been very difficult to do what we did here. But with the internet, if you're patient, you can, you know, ferret out the bad stuff. You can really figure out just about anything. And so I'm not sure it was doable before, but today, today you can find things out. And you know, the biggest inspiration for me was Michael Pollan's Omnivore's Dilemma and the farm that's featured there, and from Swope, Virginia. It's, it's how and why we farm, you know, a lot like what what you read there. Um, and to, to replicate that here but take it up a couple of notches, you know, you asked me before about the Black Angus, and the reason that we selected Black Angus is two reasons, both of them about fat, because nat- Black Angus naturally marbles better than any other breed, which means that you're going to get a very tender steak, but it's also the case that the sun's energy that's captured by the grasses we raise here, which are also kind of special, that is captured by our ruminants, our cattle, the benefits you're looking for, you know, the the beta-carotene and the omega-3 benefits that you're looking for, the CLA, they're largely in the fat, not so much the meat. So, you, you know, fat from Corn-finished cattle, bad. Mm -hmm. Fat from grass-finished cattle, good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And and where did you um, find your breeding stock? Um, You know, did you have a special place that you found your cows? or?
3: There was um, a seed stock provider here in Columbia County that I befriended, got to know. um, Top of the breed, he was... Um, breeding seed stock, whether it be bulls or cows, for people to start farms around the world, literally. Um, he would ship semen from his prize bulls everywhere. So we had a relationship. We started to buy in our uh, initial stock there and then just grew organically from there.
1: Um, And you mentioned when you were having your animals processed that, um, you know, 21 days after you take them in, you receive the meat. Are you guys dry aging, wet aging? Have you played around with any of those um, different techniques for finishing once it's been processed?
3: Yeah, we do. It's very important to the the tenderness of of a steak, the dry age. That's why the 21 days, our uh, sides hang for 21 days and that gives the enzymes an opportunity to break down the cell wall structure enough that um, a piece that might have been tough would not be. The the problem that you can sometimes have, and some farms sometimes have, with dry aging, particularly grass-fed, is that it will enhance whatever flavors in the meat. (laughs) And if the flavor of the meat has an off high protein flavor as sometimes grass-fed can and it's caused by grass that's high in protein and not enough energy that you need energy for the microbes in the rumen to break down the grass cellulose walls to allow the uptake of protein to build fat in an animal. A lot of grasses like alfalfa for example legume it's very high in protein very low in energy so the microbes in the rumen become overwhelmed and you get that high urea smell in the pastures or in the barns, as the case may be. And it can create an off-taste in both milk or meat, because that's where all that stuff is going. Well, we're, we've carefully selected our grasses to be high-sugar, high-carbohydrate grasses, because that is what energy is to a microbe, sugars, carbohydrates. Sure. Yeah. And it allows them to take up and and not be overwhelmed by the protein that exists in the legumes that are mixed in.
2: So, so it sounds like from the from the growing end, you guys have been pretty careful about making sure that you're bringing kind of the best possible product to market. And I know, I mean from standing next to Chip that he spends a lot of his time talking to people about how to how to cook grass-fed meat and how that's a little different. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the the variety of cooking methods that you guys use that maybe are different than what people might normally use when cooking non-grass-fed beef?
3: Sure. First of all, grass-fed beef, regardless of how well it's marbled, is going to tend to cook in 30 to 50 percent less time. Mm. That's one very important thing. If you want your steak medium-rare, as you should, you're going to want to get that off a little bit early. And then uh, during a rest period, it will um, go ahead and continue to finish cooking. We get a lot of times people would say, my goodness, that's a gorgeous ribeye, which is our signature steak, or it's a great-looking sirloin or a New York strip or T-bone or porterhouse or filet mignon even. And the problem is I don't have a grill. And so we did a lot of research, did a lot of testing, and we can get you to do one of our steaks. It's right in our brochure that's available on the table at the green market that, that talks about starting it in the oven at 275 degrees for um, like 20 minutes, 15 Mm -hmm. minutes, and then taking it to the fry pan with a little olive oil in it, right from the oven right to the olive oil. And what we found was that when people – it's a little counterintuitive because most people want to sear a steak and then put it in the oven to finish it. Sure, yeah. But what happens is that invariably people will – think, I got to leave it on a sear a little bit longer because I got to get it into the middle a little bit because I don't like it where it's red or, and what happens is that will seize up that meat. So by putting it in the oven first and then just going for color and caramelization and not trying to cook it because the steak is actually done when you take it out of the oven, okay. you're just going for color and caramelization. You end up with a really tender, really beautiful steak right there in Brooklyn.
1: Yeah, well, it definitely sounds like a great uh, cooking technique for
2: uh, some New York City, Brooklyn residents that don't have grills. <laughs> yeah, so dealing with some of the same issues here. What, um, so you know, steaks obviously are, are what people think of uh, with beef steaks and burgers. What about the rest of the cow? I mean, do you guys have trouble getting getting rid of you know the shanks or the the bones or the cheeks or like are there are there bits out there that that are harder for you to move?
3: You know what, um, these days, I think probably with the cooking channel or whatever, I can tell what was highlighted the week before because people will come and they'll ask me for flap steak or they'll ask nice. me for cheek meat or they'll ask me for something that maybe you don't typically hear about. It it seems that, um, you know, half of every cow, and this is something a lot of people don't recognize, is half of every cow that you get back from, from your butcher is going to be ground meat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so we are... 500 pounds, You know, we pounds, love burgers, probably. we love our ground meat, we love meatloaf, but we also make a no-nitrate, very clean hot dog and a lamb casing. Um, we, you know, we make sausages that are a little bit, that don't have any pork in them for folks who, who don't want pork for either religious or dietary reasons. Um, I tend to eat pork sausages myself as well as our beef uh, sausages, but, you know, there are people who don't, who can't take pork, and... So, we provide that as a service um, so we, we we look for avenues to actually move ground meat. It seems that the steaks, regardless of the steak cut or even the bones marrow bones, people are eating marrow bones like crazy. You know oh, yeah. it used to be they only wanted to give soup bones and marrow bones to their dogs, and now everybody makes their own stock, and everybody is interested in getting some marrow out of a bone, given its health benefits.
1: Yeah, and it looks really nice on the plate, you know, (laughs) all that good stuff. So, I mean, being at the farmer's market and, you know, in in upper state New York, um, have you found or spoken to other farmers about why more don't do grass-fed 100% and grass-finished?
3: You know, it's it's a bit of a frustration point for me, honestly. Um, It's not the farmer's fault, Mm -hmm. first of all. It's, they've been incentivized to farm the way they are. They've been incentivized to use corn. I mean, goodness, we're trying to find ways to use corn in, in, uh, in vehicles, and we know that that's not cost-effective or even environmentally friendly. Um, the USDA has incentivized farmers for the, since World War II to feed out corn. And there's a huge cost for having done that that wasn't readily apparent early on, but it's clear today. and. Today, I'm thinking it's time for farmers to say, look, enough is enough. Corn isn't the way to go. It's clear there are health issues, there are social issues, there's economic issues, there's environmental issues. They're huge. And we've got to clean up our act and get away from corn. And I think that, you know, programs such as yours and uh, the sophisticated audience we have there that makes a decision to buy ground meat from us rather than 99 cents at price chopper or wherever uh, is, is going to make a difference. And I think we can change the world, but it's going to be one customer, one loyal, grass-fed customer, um, and one farmer at a time. There's not going to be a sea change because our government just isn't capable of making that sea change.
1: And what about uh, long-term cost-wise? Your feed bills must be a lot less expensive than those finishing on grain, right?
3: Well, you know, you would think so. Oh, Except okay. here in the Northeast, it sounds like grass would be free, but we've cultivated the best grass, right? We've got the best genetics. We've got the best grass. But it's also taking me two and a half to three years to finish a steer. When you feed them corn, you can do that in 12 to 15 months. So you're turning over so much faster that it's actually cost-effective to, to feed out grains. And remember that those who are feeding out the grains in those large um, feedlots, the CAFOs, they're doing it they're buying that grain at less because of government subsidies at less than what it cost the farmer to grow it five levels removed from that food lot mm-hmm. so it's you know you would think it would be cheaper for grass it's actually significantly more expensive because we're feeding them for two or three winters instead of one you know and the grass isn't growing right now my friends <laughs> it's all white up here
2: yeah, I know that's something that, that people, people totally tend to forget. Well, thanks so much, Dan. Um, and for those of you out there listening, if you want to get a taste of some of that 100% grass-fed and finished black Angus, check out their website, uh, grazingangusacres.com, or find them at the green markets. Dan, thank you so much for coming on. It was really great having you. I know I learned a ton. Yeah, next time you're down in New York City, we'll uh, hope to bring you in the studio. Um, and for
1: all of you out here in Brooklyn or New York, uh, come check me out tomorrow at the Third Ward uh, hosting the landfill party. Um, I hope to see you there. Thank you, Jack. And uh, we'll be back next week. And always check us out on the archives at heritageradionetwork.com. Till next week.